0: Hey what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 69. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Precision Hydration have a blog post about how you can test your individual sweat rate, meaning how much sweat do you lose per hour of exercise. And that can be done at different intensities and different uh, environmental conditions to uh, get different numbers depending on what those conditions are and what that intensity is. To give you an idea of how much the sweat rate of individuals can vary, A 2017 review paper by Lindsay Baker examined the sweat rate in a total of 500 athletes and the range of sweat rates in the data was about half a liter per hour to just over 2.5 liters per hour so a five-fold increase and there were even a few major major outliers at about four or between 46 liters per hour which is pretty extreme. But uh, 1 to 1.5 liters per hour could be considered a normal or moderate sweat rate. And uh, that is something that uh, you can benchmark your numbers to. But again, there is a big range. So uh, this does not mean that just because that was the average or the normal that that is what's going to be the case for you. So I will link in the show notes uh, to the article that uh, Precision Hydration have on how to measure your sweat rate to improve your hydration strategy. Check that out and you can use some of your winter training indoors on the trainer, for example, to refine that strategy. And if you want to try out their Precision Hydration's electrolyte products, you can get 15% off your order with the promo code One 15 Big thanks to Roka that you can find on Roka.com. As we're now in mid-January and some of you might be getting close to your early season racing even it's a good time now to mention that in addition to Roka's traditional wetsuit range they do also offer a thermal wetsuit the Maverick Pro Thermal. So this is obviously a great option if you have an early season race where you will be racing in cold water or just in general for athletes that uh, find themselves getting cold really easily, even in in temperatures that uh, some athletes might not struggle struggle as much with. Like all Roka wetsuits, the pro-thermal wetsuit also comes with the patented patented technologies uh, like RS2 centerline buoyancy and uh, arms up construction for optimal mobility. So again, a really high-level, top-class wetsuit. Check it out and check out all the other products on Roca like trisuits, suits swimskins, goggles and high-performance eyewear and you can get 20% off your order with the promo code TTS20. So on to the first question for today. This one is from Bill in Canada who writes, thank you for all you do to help us. My second season of racing is coming up in 2020. I only did one sprint distance last year in a time of 1 hour 12 minutes. Uh, this year i have an a race which is uh, a sprint distance race the itu grand final in edmonton on august 23rd i would like to do some other races before that to get ready i'm thinking of following uh, the following schedule and would like your opinion 9th of may sprint distance race 1st of july 15 kilometer run road running race 5th of july olympic distance race 23rd of august sprint distance a race itu grand final and 26th of september half marathon i have tried to factor 10 days of recovery between tri races and the running races are just for fun thank you bill thank you bill for your question uh, it looks more or less good i would say i like the fact that you have two races prior to the a race Whenever an A race is a sprint or Olympic distance race, I would always recommend having at least two races, either sprint or Olympic, before that A race to be able to really get your race sharpness and practice very race specific skills in actual racing before that A race day. So you check that box with your two races, uh, which uh, is good. You do have the option to include even more uh, tune up races or sprint and Olympic distance because you have a month and a half between your early July Olympic and that A-race in August. So, I mean, that is fine as it is, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to have a sprint distance race somewhere in between, perhaps two to four weeks out from your A-race on the 23rd of August. It's not an absolute necessity by any means, but it's something that you might want to think about and consider, because I think that that too would be a good option. It would also be totally fine to have a sprint or Olympic distance race in June so somewhere between the sprint distance race that you have in May and the Olympic in July and even having both of these additional races so let's say you have for example two sprint distance races additional to these to the list that you sent me one in June and one in two to four weeks out from your from your A-race on the 23rd of August Even if you add two of these races, giving you four triathlon races before that A-race, that is absolutely fine. It's totally doable. Uh, None of them is longer than Olympic. Let's remember that. So recovery times don't need to be particularly long. And of course, you need to tailor your training so that you're actually in your peak fitness for your A-race and not for any of those other races, but the races do provide excellent sharpening work and excellent preparation to get you give you the best possible opportunity to really perform at your best in that a race in august when you have all of those racing skills uh, really ingrained in you after a summer of, of racing a few more races so just a thought you could add more races with the triathlons that you have scheduled now one in may and one in july the important thing here and even if you add more races the important thing to try to avoid, because it's very easily happened, is uh, to not get too eager for those races and do as, do so much training and uh, a lot of really intense training before those races so that you can race them in your absolute peak fitness and perform at your absolute best to prove to yourself that you're on track. That is a common mistake. You should obviously be putting in the work, both in terms of training volume and training intensity. Putting in the work here is going to be very individual. It's relative to your training capacity. But you shouldn't quite be pushing your absolute limit because if you do that too early, you do that before one of your tune up races, you may not be able to hit that peak fitness anymore within the next couple of months. So, sure, if you do end up training a bit harder than planned and really peaking for that May sprint distance race, but then feeling pretty cooked afterwards, which tends to happen when you really go uh, to your 100% fitness and you do a race afterwards, you are pretty cooked. Uh, Then a couple of very easy low volume weeks of training should set you up to then get back into things and have plenty of time to work and hit another peak at your A race in August. So that's not perhaps a big issue with the May race, but the bigger risk is if you end up hitting this kind of premature peak for the olympic distance race in july because in that case you might not have the time to get back to that same fitness or better for august 23rd you might actually be racing your a race at a lower fitness level so as a guideline train to be only 90 to 95 percent fit for that olympic distance race in particular then recover a bit keep your frequency of training during that recovery block whether it's a couple of days all the way up to a week But keep the frequency of training so you don't lose fitness, but uh, low-volume training, low-intensity training. And then go back into focused training and aim to be 98% fit for your A-race. And I say 98% because it's just so easy to do a little bit too much if you aim for 100% and that ends up costing you almost every single time. So the one thing that I would change in your program is the 15-kilometer running race four days before the Olympic race. I don't think that that's necessarily a good idea to do even if you were to run it at 90 to 95 percent effort rather than 100 percent it will more than likely have a reasonably big impact on your performance in the olympic distance race and I would say that you should aim to get your absolute best performance out of yourself in both of your tune-up triathlons that you have scheduled and that means your absolute best performance for the fitness you carry into those races so again you're trying to be 90 to 95% fit, not 100% fit, but you want to get everything out of that fitness that you have. And uh, I don't think that getting everything out of your fitness will be possible with a 15-kilometer running race four days before that race, even if you tell yourself in that uh, that road race to hold back. Now, that being said, if the the running race was some other date, like an entire week before or after the Olympic race, or even farther away than that, then I would think it's absolutely fine to do that race. It's not the race itself. It's just the fact that it's so close before your triathlon, which I would consider much more important because that's when you really want to maybe learn some important lessons and to finalize your strategy and and, uh, maybe even your training strategy or training uh, build leading into the A race, since you still have a month and a half or so between those two races. So to let you know what I mean uh, if uh, you end up running poorly in that Olympic distance race without having run the 15 kilometer race four days before then you would learn something you would learn a lesson you would need to have have a look at your bike pacing and you would have to maybe have to have a look at your overall if the bike pacing is all right you don't see anything wrong with that then you would just have to have a look at the training that you did was the training sufficient or was there anything wrong with the training or anything you could improve with the training to help you run better off the bike uh, assuming that the, the bike wasn't the issue in and of itself you would even need to analyze your nutrition leading into the race where you fueled enough or did you run out of fuel or your nutrition in the race should you have taken on a li- bit, little bit more energy but uh, if you do run that race four days before then you would not get a chance to learn these kinds of lessons because you have this big confounding variable of racing four days before and you'd probably just have to write off that poor run on account of the race rather than learning uh, one of these lessons that you could have learned otherwise on the other hand the half marathon in september and any other run race that you want to do after your triathlon season those will be totally fine you'll most likely be in excellent shape to achieve some good results there even with a limited amount of specific training so i hope that this helps your season planning and good and good luck with uh, your training and racing the next question is from sakari in uh, sweden uh, and he writes uh, hi michael i'm a 52 year old athlete who found your podcast in august and have been going through most of your episodes. It's excellent content that I have learned a lot. Thank you for the great work. I've been doing my base training consistently for the last eight to ten weeks. The majority of it is low, slow, long, long, slow distance. Low, slow distance, long, slow distance with one to two high intensity sessions of VO2 max. Usually around three to four minute intervals at a pretty high cadence. I am training around 6 hours per week and I feel my aerobic capacity have increased significantly during this phase. The VO2 max sessions I do indoors on my bike trainer as the weather has been quite bad. In the beginning of my training block I could quite easily get my heart rate up to 7.5. However for the past couple of weeks I have noticed that I have a hard time to get my heart rate up there. It usually peaks at high zone 4 or just slightly into zone 5, even though I'm breathing heavily and it's a hard workout. I have tried to increase the resistance and power, but when doing that, my legs get fatigued and I lose my cadence. My hypothesis is that I have either, one, increased my aerobic capacity and therefore my heart doesn't need to work as hard as it used to do to deliver the same performance, or two... I have gone too hard and I need to slow down a bit and put in some more rest and recovery even though I'm feeling pretty okay. Or three, I might have a small infection um, but I don't really feel sick but there may be something going on in my body. I have also been thinking that now that I have developed a good aerobic capacity uh, I need to put in a block of power work, low cadence, high resistance work to be able to take it to the next level. Uh, that uh, would allow me to increase the load without having my legs fatigue and by that get my heart rate up to zone five again question mark as you notice i have some ideas but it re- would be interesting to get your thoughts on this regards sakari P.S. i'm using your strength training plan and already now when i'm only in the in the fourth week i feel much stronger all right thank you for your question sakari and thank you for using my strength training plan First, I want to address your third hypothesis about the potentially having an infection or sickness. We can't say, of course, with any absolute certainty, but generally I would say that having a disease or an infection, that would increase rather than decrease heart rate for the same power output. So I wouldn't consider that a very likely explanation. With regards to your second point that you may have gone a bit too hard, maybe be in a state of non-functional overreaching and you might need some more rest and recovery or, or simply just not even rest and recovery, but a break from the high intensity training. This is absolutely a possible explanation. What would be interesting is uh, if you had been measuring your heart rate variability, your HRV consistently. I don't know if you had have done that, but if you have, then look for a drop in your hrv baseline Uh, as a marker if your rolling average your seven day rolling average that is your baseline if that is dropping over the course of this training block then that might well be the case and even something if you're measuring even your just your morning heart rate uh, your resting heart rate in the morning first thing in the morning mind you then an increase in that resting heart rate could also be a marker of a non-functional overreaching in which case Uh, Taking a break from high-intensity training and adding in some more rest and recovery would uh, be beneficial. The first point that you have, which is more related to the the training and the physiological adaptations, uh, so it's the most uh, complex one. If you are delivering the same performance but for a lower heart rate, so the same power output but lower heart rate, uh, then your performance hasn't actually improved uh, prior to this block of training and uh, you are saying that your legs fatigue if you try to increase the power regardless of cadence cadence might be dropping or uh, we don't really need to go into the details of cadence there but uh, if you can't produce a higher power than you did before the block of training then we can't really say that performance has improved Uh, so what might be an explanation here is that your cardiac output increased so that means that your heart is able to pump more oxygenated blood Uh, into your your blood vessels into your cardiovascular system and uh, to towards the muscles but your vo2 max hasn't necessarily increased because vo2 max is a measure of your oxygen uptake uh, and utilization it's not a measure of uh, how much uh, your heart pumps or how much oxygen or blood it pumps so if that is the case that uh, your performance hasn't improved then probably your VO2 max actually hasn't necessarily improved. So what might be happening is that your oxygen isn't really getting taken up into the cells or used within the cells in the mitochondria to produce additional energy. So these are peripheral adaptation aspects. When with that, we mean aspects at the muscular level rather than at the central or cardiovascular level. And uh, these peripheral aspects may be your limiters rather than the, the central or cardiovascular aspects. So to explain what I mean a bit more clearly, because I'm not sure if that was clear at all, uh, high-intensity interval training is a very good training method to improve cardiac output. And also, as uh, Professor David Bishop has explained in a very recent episode, episode 215, It's also very good to improve mitochondrial function, meaning things like the enzymatic activity to regulate all the activities that go into uh, the aerobic oxidation in the mitochondria. But high-intensity training is not the best at increasing mitochondrial content, meaning the number and size of mitochondria, or uh, simply the mitochondrial density. So, as we discussed in that episode, which I recommend you go and listen to, uh, David suggests that a higher volume of training at relatively low intensities is the best way to improve that mitochondrial content and increase the the amount of mitochondria and the size of your mitochondria. So a possible explanation here is that you are not you are no longer limited by your cardiac output, but uh, by some peripheral adaptations that haven't yet taken place in your body and this could be for example you don't have enough mitochondria simply you're uh, saturating the mitochondria that you have with the oxygen that is supplied so in this case if peripheral adaptations is uh, your limiter then rest and recovery isn't necessarily the solution but uh, in this particular example, at least, simply increasing the amount of uh, low-intensity low training you do or low-ish intensity training that you do, maybe at the expense of high-intensity training, maybe not, or maybe partially. So it might mean changing your training volume overall, increasing your training volume. Uh, that could be the solution here. Of course, there are some other peripheral adaptations that could be your limiter rather than the mitochondria. So you mentioned thinking about doing strength endurance work so a low cadence high torque work and that is in my opinion a great idea because you may simply need to be able to call on more aerobic oxidation from a larger number of cells. Perhaps what's happening is that right now most of your aerobic oxida- oxidation occurs in your type 1 muscle fibers and once these fibers are working at their full capacity you can't really use the surplus of oxygen that you you may be getting uh, if it is indeed the case that you are limited peripherally rather than centrally. Uh, So with the strength endurance work then you would be training your type 2a muscle fibers to contribute more to the aerobic metabolism and that would then give you the additional capacity to to use the full supply of oxygen that your heart now can deliver so you will start to be able to you'll start to get your your heart rate up again as the heart now needs to deliver the full amount of blood and oxygen that it's capable of delivering so you can go harder your heart rate goes back up to your normal 75 and you have the muscle fibers that are able to to use and take up that oxygen in your aeroboxidation. And uh, an- another example could be related to lactate, lactate shuttling limiters. Uh, so, lactate produced anaerobically is fed into the aerobic uh, metabolism, but that requires certain shuttles. So, shuttling of lactate from the blood into the cells, but also shuttling from within the cytosol in the cell into mitochondria and uh, if you are limited at some of these one of these steps then uh, perhaps you might want to look at different types of interval training compared to what you're doing now so you might be considering doing things like over under workouts where the idea is to continuously uh, cycle through ramping up your lactate production and concentration but then drop down the intensity to level where this lactate is metabolized pretty quickly so the recovery between efforts isn't really easy it's more of a steady effort where you're really uh, challenging your muscle muscles to to metabolize the lactate and and that will hopefully uh, induce adaptations in the lactate shuttling so those are some ideas in terms of training interventions that you can use but i also want to say last but absolutely not least one common cause for what you're experiencing could be simply that you're low on glycogen and carbohydrate. So VO two max intervals inevitably will require require a lot of onboard uh, carbohydrate, and perhaps if you are not fueled with enough carbohydrate going into that workout, those high intensity workouts, then you may just be too low on that. So maybe your VO two max has increased, but the limiter isn't really the oxygen available for uptake for aerobic metabolism but the limiter is that you don't have the substrate available to metabolize you don't have the carbohydrate available you're in a glycogen depleted state so those are a few suggestions i can't tell you that uh, i have any clear answers but hopefully this will help you make some more educated guesses and try out one of these suggestions at a time and see if it works And if not, move on to the next one. So just as a, I guess, order of priority, first of all, it's very simple to have a think about and a check-in about your diet and uh, consider, are you fueling enough for those hard workouts? Maybe try to up the carbohydrate for a couple of those workouts quite significantly and see if that makes a difference. That's an easy test to do. If you do that test and uh, it doesn't really solve the issue, and uh, you also don't feel particularly beat up, Your easy workouts, you're feeling good, you're performing well or as good or better than before, then that would suggest that you're probably not in a state of non-functional overreaching. Uh, You obviously need to be honest in your assessment of feeling good and performing well in your lower-intensity workouts. Uh, But if this is the case, then probably trying one of the suggested training changes Uh, Would be uh, the next uh, thing to do. So, for example, trying out a higher volume of low intensity training, trying to introduce strength endurance uh, training, and so on. But if you feel a bit beat up, and uh, perhaps even your perceived effort in your VO2 max intervals is high, as high at least, or maybe even higher than it was before, or you feel simply a bit empty, like you can't access a higher gear in those workouts, then certainly a few days up to a couple of weeks of low volume low intensity training might be the way to go as uh, in that case you might just be in a state of non-functional overreaching so i hope that this helps now uh, good luck in finding the solution i'm keeping my fingers crossed for you and that's it for today's q a i'll link in the episode description to the episode with uh, david bishop keep sending in your questions for future q and a's to michael at scientific and that's michael with a k if you are preparing in full preparation mode for your 2020 races and you need any help or guidance uh, check out scientific we offer uh, products and services ranging from ready-made training plans to top class individual coaching so uh, check that out if you're interested and check out our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get a hydration plan to match match your individual sweat sodium content and sweat rate, and get 15% off their products with the code thattriathlonshow15. And a big thanks to Roka for sponsoring that Show. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. And get 20% off your order with the promo code TTS20. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving Triathlon.